Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm Kim Thompson Pinder, the extraordinary word ninja and founder of RTI Publishing, where we work with you to ghostwrite and publish your signature book that will double your business by attracting clientele and position you as the go-to expert in your niche. Next, we will show you how to use your book to make lead generation and conversion a snap while building an audience. My guests include professionals, entrepreneurs, and coaches who use their skills to build people powerfully. They will share their story and powerful tips that will help you live better. They will also share their writing journey and how it has impacted their life and the lives of their readers. If you've ever wondered if writing a book makes a difference, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And as always, I am so honored to have my co-host and best friend of over 30 years, uh, Juanita Witten Radko on the show. So welcome, Juanita. Good morning, Kim. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing really well. So today we're going to talk about a topic that I know many people wonder about, and that's how do you become an international bestseller on Amazon. And it is a title that a lot of people want. So we're going to focus in on that today. And just before we do, though, I want to talk about that title, international bestseller. Some people think that they absolutely have to have it to be shown that they are authority in their niche. And it's not true. Okay. It is a great check mark to be able to have on sort of your positioning checklist of different things that you want to do. But at no point do you ever have to be an international best-selling author to be able to be the authority in your niche, build a fantastic business and have people want to work with you. That being said, again, Every little thing that you can do that proves that you are the authority does help, but not always necessary. So we're going to talk about two key concepts to becoming an international bestseller, and they're probably not what you think. But just before I get into kind of my going on, Juanita, did you have some opening thoughts for us today? I was thinking about what you were just saying and considering that um, having as many things as polished as possible is similar to being prepared for a job interview. You wouldn't go to a job interview with bedhead and clothes with stains on them and you know, you'd probably brush your teeth. Like <laughs> At least we hope. <laughs> I hope, I hope. So I think, do these things matter? Are they, yes, they matter. It's the baseline of, we don't think about it, but we have, everyone has a baseline of what's acceptable, mm -hmm. you know, and what, and what's professional. Mm -hmm. And that's, what we're dealing with is that we have some unspoken predispositions as to what is considered a professional bestseller mm -hmm. 
on. That's something that we're going to get into today. And so there are probably many definitions of international bestseller, and I've seen some people really fudge the line on this and <laughs> call books an international bestseller when I don't really think they are. So here is sort of RTI Publishing's version of what we consider to be an international bestseller. So to be an international bestseller in our eyes, you have to have hit bestseller status in at least one category, but preferably two, in more than one country. And usually you want to have one of the big ones, which is Amazon.com, and one of the smaller countries, you know, Canada, you know, UK, Australia. You know, to us, that really means that you are a bestseller. You know, and it means that you can prove it, that you've taken the picture of your book with the name bestseller beside it, and you can see it in two different countries. You know, to have bestseller in one category in one country does not, for me, make you an international bestseller. It does make you a bestseller. And You need um, two nations to be international. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I don't think I need to go searching on dictionary.com for, <laughs> yeah, for that one. More than one. <laughs> so here, here's a book I did, and this was a fun book that I've gi been giving away when I do events, and I am actually going to put it on Amazon at some point this year. But if you notice at the bottom here, it says Canadian best-selling author. And back when I was first writing books to train people how to run a business from home, I had attained Canadian bestseller status. So, but I didn't get international. I didn't get any other country except Canada. So I, I never said up till about the last couple of years when I actually am now an international, several time international bestselling author um, for a few different uh, collaboration books that I've done for my clients and I participated in, uh, not only creating the books, but also being in the books. And, but until that point, I would never say I was an international bestseller. I was a Canadian bestselling author. And I think it's important to, you know, if you want to be that authority in the niche, in your niche, you have to be, it has to be genuine. It can't be something that you fake. You know, for the short term, you may get some results from it. And people may ooh and ah, but over time, people are going to realize that it's not genuine. And that's actually going to go against you. So in my opinion, you're always better off just to be honest about who you are, and where you are at in life, and how you can help people. An important point uh, to promoting yourself, we've talked about this before, is having integrity, integrity and reliability. Mm. And if you start labeling yourself as an international bestseller when you're not, then you've shot yourself in the foot before you've even made a relationship with your clients. Exactly. So now that we've covered those couple of quick things, want to get into the main topic today. And this is part one of two parts on becoming an international bestseller. So there's two key elements that you need to have in place to become, to get that status on Amazon. 
and it's all based on sales. So it's, you've got to be able to sell the book. So the two key elements are, first of all, you have to have a well-written book. So and we're going to talk about those elements of a well-written book today. In part two of this series, we're going to look at the second one, which is marketing. You will never hit, I mean, unless you've already got a network of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Most of us do not. So if you're starting out and you don't have that network, you have to be able to do marketing. That's the only way that you're going to hit that international bestseller status because it is based on sales and you've got to be able to reach people and get them to buy the book. So the misconception is people think that if they do a well-written book, it's a field of dreams and everybody's going to flock to it. They're going to find it on Amazon. They're going to buy it. And, you know, you're going to do thousands and thousands of sales and, you know, it's going to be a top 10 book. Piece of cake. You can make money while you're sleeping. <laughs> and if you believe that, I've got a, a swamp in Florida I'd like to sell you. Waterfront property. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you have to have those two key elements in place. And both are essential components of the formula to create an international bestseller. And like I said, we are going to cover extensively the marketing side of it in part, to do, in part two. So today we're going to look at the elements of a well-written book. Here's the reason why a well-written book is essential. It has everything to do with your reviews. When people check out your book on Amazon, they look for the reviews and they read the reviews, and they will look to see how many good reviews you have and how many bad reviews you have. Now, if you've already got a network and someone's buying the book because you know, you've asked them to, or they're your friend or whatever, they're not really gonna check out the reviews. But to hit international bestseller, you know, you're gonna to have to rely on more than your network. So you need to have those good reviews in place so that when people check it out, and they read the reviews, they're like, oh, wow, I've got to read this. Mm -hmm. And so to get good reviews, um, there's four things that have to go into a good book, and we need and I are going to talk about each one of them. So I think I'll cover, cover having a good cover. And then, Juanita, I'd love for you to talk about having readable, relatable content. So... It says you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, everybody does. It's the first thing that people see, and it does greatly influence whether they buy the book or not. So, you know, if you're positioning yourself as an authority with your book, your cover better reflect that. And it doesn't mean that the cover has to look the same. I mean, you can look back there. There's four different co covers of four very well-done books, and none of them are the same. But they all have that element that they catch your eye. They're clear. They're well-done. They're graphically designed beautifully. And they catch your attention. So when you're creating your book, don't... Unless you're a graphic designer, do not do the covers yourself. 
get them professionally done. It is worth the money to have that proper cover. Because when people, if people do not see a professional cover on Amazon, they don't think of you as professional, and they won't even read the book description. They won't even get to the point to even find out what your book is about. So, Juanita, let's. I'm going to let you loose. You can share some thoughts on good cover, and then talk about readable, relatable content. Well, Kim, I was just thinking um, again, relating it to sewing, but one of the things that was the the worst thing in the world for a a home sewer a hobby sewer is when you wear something and and you say i made this myself and your friend says i could tell <laughs> and i was just thinking that's the same thing with a book cover is that you can if you go on Amazon, you can look at those book covers and you go, they did that themselves. Mm -hmm. This is their favorite font. Why do people like Comic Sans? I, <laughs> <laughs> All of these things go, come into your mind. The other thing I was thinking about is make, your sure, make sure your title is intriguing. Mm -hmm. That um, it's like, and you really near your audience like it's your uh, I don't want to say it's your pickup line but it kind of is you know just looking behind you I can see own your dreams selling from the heart and the sport of life and all of those things I think oh yes I have dreams mm -hmm. I care about selling from the heart I care about doing everything with my heart mm -hmm. and Life, I love life. <laughs> All of those things are enough to make me go, all right, what's, let me look at the back cover. That's um, something that you want your potential reader to do. You want them to reach out and grab the book. So I'd also say choose a clear font. I already mm -hmm. kind of poo-pooed uh, Comic Sans, but there are... There are more professional fonts to be used. <laughs> if you're not writing a children's book, don't even touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, those are all elements that a good graphic designer is going to take care of for you. Mm -hmm. That they're going to look at all of those things and, you know, really put together something that reflects your book well. And you did hit it on the nail. Like the good cover has to have a good title. And sometimes there's several different ways to do titles and we can't really get into that today. I teach a whole course on how to title your book. And it does depend on, you know, whether how you're using your book on how you title it. So we won't go in too much into that today. But it is important. So some things to note with your title. Um, shorter titles tend to do better than bigger title, longer titles. If you have to do a longer title, I suggest giving the book a shorter title and a longer subtitle. If your title is not clear in what your book is about, 
then your subtitle better explain what your book is about or the main benefit that the person's going to receive by reading this book. Again, you want to hook them in. So sometimes a fancy, fancy, catchy title will hook them in, but if they don't know what the book is about or can't figure out what the book is about, they're not going to buy it. So, Juanita, that leads us to a readable and relatable content in your book. Readable content, my own personal preference is something that is easy to read where I'm not looking up words, whether it's jargon or higher end academically, you know, unless you are creating a book for academics, you should probably keep your language level around the grade six to grade eight level reading level relatable content well we've talked about it in the past how you're considering your audience who is your ideal reader you're going to write for that ideal reader you're going to consider what their problems are you're going to share how you overcame similar problems but in a way where you're telling your reader you can do it too. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. You're able to do this and you're encouraging them. You're sort of like a cheer cheerleader going, come on, keep going. You're a coach and a cheerleader and you're just rooting for this person as opposed to, I am an expert <laughs> and you poor fools need to listen to me because dumb bunnies, this is how it's done. <laughs> Yeah, yoink, as my uh, favorite Dorothy Parker once said, this is not a book to be put down lightly. In fact, it should be hurled with great force. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a few books like that. <laughs> so, and I think you kind of hit it on the head there. You know, the, the hero of the book has to be the reader. Mm-hmm. And you're helping them on their hero's journey. Yes, I was thinking about our previous episode where we talked about the different voices and I compared them with uh, the characters from the Big Bang episode. You don't want to be a Sheldon who's a know-it-all and that is not uh, taking your hero further on their uh, path. Mm-hmm. And I think books, too, have to have a good logical order to them. Absolutely. You know, and so logical is not strict, okay? It's not a strict thing. But if you're trying to get a person from, let's say, from A, a to B, and yet you've taken them from A to Z to N to Q... You know, you've taken them all over the place except to be, they're not going to see results. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got to think of the progression of what this person is going through. And, you know, even if a lot of your book is telling your story, it doesn't have to be chronological, completely chronological, but you do have to do it in a way that makes sense. 
you don't yeah. want your story to be kind of all over the place so people don't know when this happened or where it happened or okay i'm confused like you know um, why are they telling me this now yeah exactly <laughs> I, I know that that can be a challenge uh, sometimes for me in my head I think oh a a b c d e but I make a gazelle like leap to K <laughs> and sometimes I'll have someone say but what about B through J and it's like, whoa, didn't you get that from when I glancingly <laughs> said H? <laughs> and that's, uh, that's when having another pair of eyes mm -hmm. uh, and getting feedback about how does this make sense to you? Does, do you see where I'm heading here? Mm -hmm. If you were reading this book, what am I am I telling you everything you need to know or what am I missing for this to really be a good tool for you? So it's, it's good to have uh, someone who can give you feedback, a willing victim or a spouse, you know, however it works. <laughs> maybe, maybe not a spouse. I guess it depends on, on how strong your relationship is. <laughs> yeah. You might want to go to a BFF. <laughs> and I, I was also thinking uh, back to what you're talking about in terms of vocabulary. Now, you got to understand, Juanita is the delicious word girl, <laughs> and um, she's got quite the extensive vocabulary, and I am constantly impressed by her ability to come up with unique words that I have never heard of before, <laughs> and it's one of the things I love about her, but she does stress that grade six to eight reading level, but one thing I do want to add to that is you can still elevate your writing, elevate your vocabulary, and use better choices of words, even within that grade six to eight um, reading level. Yes. Yeah. The, so, um, for example, you call me the delicious word girl. If something, thinking, thinking about taste, it, there's a ranking of we might think well something's it's okay it's good it's delicious it's yummy it's pleasant I'm not using words that are hard for anybody to understand you know is it even if I said it was sublime it you'd probably still I don't think I'd lose many people Mouth-watering. Exactly. There's, there is room for variety there. My personal favorite for absolute best would be ambrosial, which is <laughs> one that I just trot out on special occasions. But boy, it had better be dang delicious if it gets that one. <laughs> I wouldn't use ambrosial in my, you know, level six to grade six to grade eight book. But... You best believe that I'm keeping it <laughs> for special occasions. <laughs> or even words like it was tart or, yeah. you know, instead of saying sour, tart is a, the more Dangerous, delicious. Succulent. There's, exactly. You can use words 
that are understood by people. They're just more descriptive than our usual. It had pucker power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Giving a visual image and, and playing with uh, words that actually create a response in you uh, physically. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, yes, you were scared, but saying that your heart was pounding and you could hear your pulse in your ears definitely brings it in sharper into focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, paint that picture with your words so that when, you, when you're telling people things, they can see it, they can taste it, they can hear it, they can see it, they can, they can feel it, you know. You weren't just afraid. You were terrified, mm-hmm. petrified, paralyzed. Like, yes. there, there's a lot of different words that you can use which bring out the meaning even more that are still commonly understood. So... Which I'm going to let you do the next one because you are the editor de excellence. <laughs> and that one is good grammar. Good grammar police. Yes, my oh. my, my grammar Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for it. <laughs> it's it's important to realize we actually speak two different languages mm. or we understand two different languages. Yes. When we're talking with our friends, especially longtime dear friends like Kim and I, we can be uh, permitted, allowed to fall into lazy or um, teenager type language so we've got the casual language that we use when we're with friends and socializing we have a professional language that we use when we are at work hopefully and we have a written language and that is where the line has to stay on the professional side not on our casual side of things that's where good grammar is really important the real key with good grammar is that when it's working when you are using it to its finest it's almost invisible the it's so clear what you mean when i say behind the curtain stood a man that's awkward phrasing there was a man behind the curtain both are are understandable but they give you a different feel as the when i set it up with the language i'm preparing you for a different kind of story in both instances good grammar <sighs> all right my pet peeves my goodness, know when you're supposed to use an apostrophe, people. <laughs> if you have more than one thing and there's an S, the apostrophe goes on vacation and doesn't come anywhere near it. That would be my one thing 
more than it, I would pay cash money to never see <laughs> a misplaced apostrophe in a plural. <laughs> <laughs> I feel strongly about that one. Everything else, I'm kind of like, I can say, all right, that's no, we can work with that. But I think we should all know whether we're talking about more than one <laughs> or whether we own something. When you own something, that's when you use an apostrophe. And I'm taking that hat off now because the podcast isn't about grammar by itself. But I feel it's worth just remembering that one rule and your grammar will shine. Well, and I, I think, I think grammar is important. Like you said, when grammar is good, it's invisible. Yes. And that's why you want to have good grammar because when the grammar is not good, mm -hmm. everybody notices it. It's, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a good, as you're, driving along and you read the reader is driving along in the reading car do 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 and then you go kabomp as you hit that inelegant sentence and you go oh and then you have to kind of all right get back yes there's a mistake there keep on going was that what they meant and you and so you it distracts the reader from your message when you have something it could even be as simple here's one thing that people are in danger of now because we have such good spell check mm. checking, is that accidentally replacing one word spell checking and autocorrect mm -hmm. you have a true word but it's not the word that you intended in that place. And so that is definitely where the, um, the well, reader I, has to get out of the car and check the tire <laughs> at that point. Like, what were they talking about? Well, it could be the difference between shut or I'm not going to say the other word. Or shout. And <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other day um, at, at church, we were talking about all our... All your burdens he will gladly, and the phrase was gladly bear, like carry, mm. but there was a typo and it said he will gladly hear, like he's going to listen to you unload on him. For... <laughs> so it, it could make sense, mm -hmm. but it was supposed, to, the next line was to rhyme with care. So... Mm bear was the word we were looking for <laughs> and and i think that's why we can't stress the importance enough of an editor and i mean even punctuation so take these two sentences it's the exact same sentence let's eat dad so if you put a comma after eat it's let's eat dad or if you don't put a comma it's let's eat dad <laughs> you're a monster <laughs> a monster <laughs> I, I was, one of my uh, favorite ones with that is, woman, without her, man is nothing. And with <laughs> the men would pu punctuate that saying, woman, without her, without, pardon me, woman, without her man, comma, is nothing. nothing. Meaning that a woman has no value without a man. 
woman without her man without her man is nothing you would woman colon without her comma man is that nothing, is nothing. <laughs> entirely the reverse right so yeah get your grammar checked and as much as i love grammarly and i do enjoy it it's still not good enough as no it's not an ai it's not going to save you from words that like i said the difference between here and bear it's not going to catch and it's not going to necessarily appreciate the nuances of canadian versus american grammatical so you can't you, there there are some settings in there but here's the thing like again i love grammarly too but for me it's only ever just sort of a double check yes you know it's really good just for double checking things and it does sometimes catch things that I didn't catch. But again, it's not my main thing. It's my, it's my backup double check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then the next one, which I'm going to cover is excellent formatting. First of all, if your book does not meet basic formatting standards, it will not be accepted on Amazon either in ebook or print book though there is a little bit more leeway in your ebook than there is in a print book but that being said you want your book has to look good on the inside if the formatting is not consistent and amazon doesn't check for for consistency in terms of font sizing different things like that they more look for uh, margins, uh, placement of pictures, graphics, things like that. So you want your formatting to be consistent throughout the whole book. All of your subheadings are the same font, the same size. All of your body font is exactly the same. All of your heading fonts are the same throughout the book. You don't want a book that's so crammed that there's no white space. People need that white space and it's a balance. You don't want like an extreme amount of white space, but you have to have some white space. So your line spacing has to be good. So the distance between your lines has to be good. Um, yeah, wall of text is no fun to read. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our, the requirements to become an RTI writer is the ability to write three to five lines long paragraphs. Having a whole page paragraph is very hard to read. So, you know, it's not that in our books, everything's three to five lines. It occasionally does go longer because it needs to go longer. But, you know, we don't have huge blocks of text in our book. You want to make it so that it's pleasing to the eye to look at, mm -hmm. you know, and it has to be consistent throughout. Please, 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 please do not use Times New Roman for the interior of your book. It is a very old font. And it was when Times New Roman came out, it was really good for its time. And if you're just writing your book in Times New Roman, 
that's fine. Do not format your book in Times New Roman. There are so many really good, readable, clean-looking uh, fonts out there. Uh, we're not going to go into too many details because we don't have time today, but do a study on serif and sans serif fonts and where each one is appropriate. Um, you know, you want your book to be easy. And, you know, adding a lot of design elements can make it cluttered and make it hard to read. That can also interfere with your readership, especially if your some of your audience may have um, visual uh, disabilities or men, um, reading difficulties, processing difficulties like dyslexia, those kind of fonts will distance you from those readers. You know, your bullet points, use the same thing, whether it's a dash, whether it's a dot, whether it's a star, Whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that it's good and consistent throughout the book. You know, if you're going to, like, if you've got a book where, you know, you've got point one and then it's got point A and then A1 and whatever, and you're doing a lot of that through the book, it's hard to read. It's you not know, a legal we, document. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. It feels like a legal document. So, you know, make sure when you're formatting, that you find different ways. Use subheadings in your chapters. Break up your chapter into those subheadings. Um, you will find that it it brings everything to a, your point to a close, but it also allows that person that small mind break, and they can pick up where they left off. Sometimes, you know, if if they don't, if they forget to put the bookmark in they'll remember what subheading they were just about to read. But if you have no subheadings and they're done trying to flip through and find where they read, they might just stop reading the book. So again, subheadings are make the book uh, readable. And they give, give it more value, mm -hmm. really, when you have subheading is a moment for the reader to pause and go, oh, this must be an important point. Mm -hmm. Because we've got a whole section about why you should use bananas in your chocolate chip muffin <laughs> recipe or whatever. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy mummy muffins. <laughs> so when you take all of these things and you combine them together, so you have a good cover, a good title, readable, relatable content, when you have good grammar and good formatting, you will then get good reviews on your book. Now, sometimes you will get bad reviews on your book. And it's actually a good thing. You don't want a ton of bad reviews. But here are the kind of bad reviews that you want. You want the kind of reviews where people are telling them how horrible the book is, but you can tell by reading the review that they really weren't the right person to read it in the first place, and they have no clue about the topic. So they were reading about a topic that they really didn't agree with in the first place, and the book just enhanced the fact that they really were not the right reader for the book. Because anybody who is the right reader for the book will look at the cover, will look at the subtitle, the topic, will read the book description and go, oh yeah. But then when they read a, a bad review 
um, you know, when they read a bad review on the book, they're like, oh yeah, this person has no clue what they're talking about. Those are the kind of bad reviews that you want. You do not want bad reviews that say, oh, this book sucked. The grammar was horrible. I could barely read it for all the spelling mistakes or, you know, it was formatted so bad. I, I didn't even make it through the first chapter. Those are not the kind of re bad reviews that you want. Um, you know, you want your bad reviews should be more based on the content and how it's not just right for that person, as opposed to the quality of the book and the quality of the writing. It's like those, those reviews are like we were talking about at the beginning with the showing up to your job interview, looking well-dressed and polished. It's kind of like you showed up to your job interview and you bombed it before you even got in the door because you had to run in your pantyhose and your makeup was messed up, whatever. The um, benefit Or you to forgot having... to put deodorant on. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about making a wrong impression. <laughs> Dress sweat. <laughs> uh, oh. um, the bright side of having a negative review, I find, is that when I read a series of reviews in anything, when I go on to wish.com, who is not a sponsor, but I'm talking about, when I go on that... Those types of sites. <laughs> and I look at the reviews, quality product arrived sooner than I expected. Blah, blah, blah. They are all so, so happy. I am delighted. And I'm like, this seems like you just faked this yes. review. Nobody fakes a, a negative review for themselves. Or I've, yet, I've yet to meet someone who does. <laughs> so when I look through a review and say, sort of a mixed review of, well, I like this and this, but I wasn't so happy about that. And I go, okay, all right, they're complaining about something. Would that bother me? Eh, no. Or, or I go, hmm, that, that would bother me. Maybe this isn't the right product. Maybe this isn't the right book for me. Fine. I'm not the ideal audience for that book. Mm -hmm. But that's a more valuable review to me as a consumer. Yes. And the value for you is that it protects your integrity. Mm -hmm. Again, because if you can take the hit and let those ones stay up there that adds to your credibility it's like you can address saying well thank you for your feedback yeah and the and move along they are not <laughs> they have not considered all the work you put into it but mm -hmm. that's a, a valuable thing of aspect thank you for your feedback i'll consider that when i do the second edition of the book yeah and if they have negative things to say about your second edition, well, heck, they bought it. Because <laughs> it wasn't all bad, hey? I bought this book to see if it was any worse than the first one. And you know what? It was about the same level of bad. 
Do you want me to sign, make a dedication to you? Or yeah. is the third one. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so when you combine those elements together, you get the good reviews that you need. And once you have those really good reviews, and you don't need a ton of good reviews. It's not like you need 100 reviews on your book. But if you've got a good 10 to 15, you know, let's say 13 of the reviews, you know, are four or five star, and you maybe have like one two star and one one star book, you know. And again, it's, you, you can tell the person just wasn't the right person for the book. That's a good blend of reviews. And, you know, when you get reviews from people who talk about the book and how it changed their life, that's even better. So, okay, I'm having one of those days. I just lost my train of thought. So, Juanita, I will put it over to you for a moment to share your thoughts. Okay. It is worthwhile asking some of your friends to review your book mm -hmm. if you know that they will do a better job than just the, this was the best book I ever wrote, uh, pardon me, the best book I ever read that was written by a friend of mine who buys me coffee after I write a review for her. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, although that was, it worked for Al Paladini. Those of you in the Toronto, who grew up in the Toronto area will recognize Al Paladini. He had uh, radio commercials where his, mother would go on and say the Al Paladini's used cars are the best car dealership that was ever owned by a son of mine and it was a big joke because <laughs> any Paladini is a pal of mine <laughs> how many years later and I've still got that in my head so it was effective marketing so which leads us to the fact that in part two Make sure you come back for part two. Um, it's really important that you combine a good book with good marketing. And so the episodes with Juanita and I always air on the first and the third Monday of the month. So uh, tune in. Uh, this episode will air the first Monday in April and we will talk about marketing and we'll give you lots of really good hints and tips and places where you can start because marketing is such a massive topic but we're going to share with you just some good ideas of where do you begin and what can you expect and I think being realistic in what you can expect will not only help you attain your goal of becoming an international bestseller but also, if you don't quite make it, then you know why. So anyway, this has been Juanita Witten Radko and myself, Kim Thompson Pinder, on the Author to Authority podcast. And we will see you all on the very next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Author to Authority podcast. Just for being here, I'd like to invite you to download your free copy of Power Words, Attract High-Paying Clients and Customers. In this book, I show you how you can easily double your business by using engaging language that attracts the right client to you and positions you as someone they want to work with. Get your free ebook at www.powerwords.pro 
forward slash free book. That's www.powerwords.pro forward slash free book. Go there now, and I look forward to seeing you on the very next episode of Author to Authority.